I'm not going to take this invasion of my church lion down, Uncle Patrick exclaimed with a huff. He picked up his black tricorn hat and positioned it firmly on his head. The dissenters of Hanover, including your father, dear sister-in-law, had better heed the law if they knew what's good for them. Isn't that right, Sheriff Henry? Welcome to the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, with your hosts, Max, Liz, and Nigel. This podcast is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And I'm your narrator, Denny Brownlee. By the way, as you listen to this episode from the audiobook The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, keep in mind you can download your very own copy of it by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you'll find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, epicorderoftheseven.com. On today's episode, we'll bring you Chapter 17 from the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key. And of course, later in Jenny's Corner, our author friend, Jenny L. Cody, will answer a rather uh, uh, meaty question, you might say. I say, old chap, I beg your pardon for interrupting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, our own mouse in the house, Nigel P. Monaco. Uh, greetings, all, uh, but to the point, I seem to be missing something I had procured for after we finish recording. Uh, perhaps we can help, stated our thoughtful feline, Liz. Oh, uh, bonjour, everyone. Uh, Nigel, what seems to be missing? Well, earlier, I had amassed a sizable quantity of cookie crumbs and situated them in close proximity to my studio entrance. Oh, you mean that hole in the side of your shoebox? inquired our rough-and-ready Scotty dog, Max. I uh, greetings all. Well, yes, Max, from your canine perspective, it is indeed the aforementioned uh, hole. And was it a pile of cookie crumbs? Uh, yeah, what kind of cookies were they, Mosey? What kind? Well, that hardly matters. They were an assortment of various sugary treats. Why, there may have even been a sampling of savory crackers mixed in. The, the, the composition of said pile is hardly the point, however. You are wondering where it went. Indeed. I had it neatly and tightly packed into a pile with the intent of consuming it for my midday meal. It seems, however, someone has beaten me to it. Are you inferring that uh, one of us may have confiscated your crumbly cuisine? Uh, no less. I think he thinks one of us ate it. Or that, uh, Monsieur Announcer? What? Have you been doing some naughty nibbling? Me? Hardly. I mean, that would be enough food to, to nourish a mouse. A mouse, yes. Me? No. Hey, you know, it was probably me who supplied the crumbs in the first place, though. Oui, pardon, monsieur. Forgive me. I forgive you. I failed to consider your sloppy table manners. Well, that's... Wait, what? Indeed, much of my sustenance is derived from the haphazardly scattered gleanings of our uh, announcer chap. Well, you're welcome. So, what about you, Liz? Moi? Vous. I saw the pile in question earlier today. I approached it. <laughs> sniffed it, and uh, pfft, turned up my nose and walked away. Well, I admit that certainly rings true. Let's see, who does that leave? What are you all looking at me for? Max? Like I would go around sniffing for goodies, finding a few crumbs and just scurf them down then. Because they're there? What do you take me for then? Pretty much a normal dog. <laughs> no, you take that... Hold on. Simply put, old boy, did you take my food... I took a random pile of goodies. That was my lunch. It were crumbs. I were just doing a wee bit of clean-up. 
from our sloppy announcer lad. Now, hold on. But while announcer chap's slovenly habits are well established... Seriously? I distinctly place those crumbs in an organized fashion in a specific location, thus clearly demonstrating my intent. Namely that... Well, that be your opinion, Mosey. To me, it were a open invitation for a wee snack and to help tidy things up too, so you're welcome then. Gentlemen, and I use the term loosely, the conflict here seems not to be a question of right and wrong, but more a difference of opinion as to the nature of the pile de crumb. Ah, says you, smarty pants. Smarty pants? Smarty pants? Ooh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, lass. It's been my experience that name-calling generally stems from a feeling of guilt. Is that so? Well, you might... Okay, everybody, let's simmer down. I'd like a little peace and quiet here now. So we will now continue our story of the voice of the revolution in the key, and let's hope there's a little peace. Today we begin a new section entitled Rumors of War. That's not a good start. Uh, let's see what Chapter 17 holds. Uh-oh. Part 2. Rumors of War Chapter 17. Peace, Peace, When There Is No Peace Hanover, October 1745 I had no choice, Uncle Patrick fumed, pacing angrily behind the garden bench. If I hadn't allowed him inside my church, he would have preached outside in the churchyard, and then my entire congregation would have gone over to him. So the great George Whitfield blazes across the colonies in his Great Awakening movement and sends word he's coming to none other than Hanover County asking to speak at St. Paul's Parish, John Henry said, lighting his pipe. What did you tell him? Well, I didn't say yes or no, but invited him first to come meet at my home on Saturday and discuss what he would speak about, Uncle Patrick offered, then blew his nose. Uh, pardon, I'm still getting over this fever and cold. Sorry for your malady, brother. John took a puff on his pipe and nodded. Your request sounded reasonable. But Whitfield didn't have the courtesy of even replying to my request. Uncle Patrick blurted out, raising a hand in the air and letting it drop to the back of the bench. Yesterday, he just showed up at St. Paul's, and by the time I got there, a great crowd of people had already gathered. All I could do at that point was to allow him entry to speak inside, but on the condition that he first read from the Book of Common Prayer. Well, he abided by your request. He is an ordained Anglican minister, after all, and knows how you do things at St. Paul's, John answered. Aye, but when the Anglican church in England didn't assign him a pulpit, he just started preaching in parks and fields on his own, and people in mass actually started to come hear him, Uncle Patrick added gesturing wildly with his arms. "'You heard that little cross-eyed preacher yesterday. His big voice can be heard over five hundred feet away. He has become nothing short of a celebrity in the colonies.' "'Aye, over half the colonists have either heard or read his sermons by now, this being his third trip to America,' John added. "'And he just had to come to Hanover,' Uncle Patrick ranted. John pointed at his brother with his pipe. "'I heard,' that even Benjamin Franklin was so moved by Whitfield in Philadelphia that he helplessly emptied his pockets when the preacher asks for support for an orphanage in Savannah. 
Uncle Patrick shook his head and gripped the bench with both hands. I simply do not understand the effect he has on people. I do, Sarah said. She plopped down on the bench with her arms crossed over her chest and an impish grin on her face. His method of grace sermon was beyond inspiring yesterday. I'm so glad Patrick got to hear him. Your namesake was mesmerized, dear brother-in-law. The younger Patrick sat within earshot of the adults, listening to the Scottish burr of his father and uncle in a heated discussion once more about religion. He had brought his fiddle outside to play, but stopped behind the hedge when he heard their voices. Max and Liz sat next to him, and he quietly petted them as he closed his eyes and thought back to yesterday morning's events at his uncle's church. Patrick sat with his parents up in the new gallery built for the use of gentlemen justices, vestrymen, and their families. He leaned over the railing above the main floor and looked down in awe at the crowd hanging on every word of this 31-year-old maverick preacher. The people packed into the church until there was no standing room and the air grew so hot with their breath that steam formed on the ceiling. Whitfield held the people captive with his hypnotic voice, which he could raise or lower at will. Patrick was awestruck by what came out of the small man's mouth. His words were burned into Patrick's memory. Today's text is Jeremiah 6.14. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. As God can send a nation or people no greater blessing than to give them faithful, sincere, and upright ministers, so the greatest curse that God can possibly send upon a people in this world is to give them over to blind, unregenerate, carnal, lukewarm, and unskilled guides. And in all ages we find that there have been many wolves in sheep's clothing, many that daubed with untempered mortar, that prophesied smoother things than God did allow. As it was formerly, so it is now. The prophet Jeremiah gives a thundering message, that they might be terrified and have some convictions and inclinations to repent. But it seems that the false prophets, the false priests, went about stifling people's convictions, and when they were hurt or a little terrified, they were for daubing over the wound, telling them that Jeremiah was but an enthusiastic preacher, that there could be no such thing as war among them, and saying to people, Peace, peace, be still, when the prophet told them there was no peace. The words, then, refer primarily unto outward things, but I verily believe have also a further reference to the soul. How many of us cry peace, peace to our souls when there is no peace? How many are there who are now settled upon their leaves, that now think they are Christians, that now flatter themselves that they have an interest in Jesus Christ, whereas if we come to examine their experiences, we shall find that their peace is but a peace of the devil's making. It is not a peace of God's giving. It is not a peace that passeth human understanding." Patrick opened his eyes when he heard his father's voice. I must say that Whitfield's historical faith comment was rather brilliant. He was clever to make that illustration with Caesar or Alexander. The boy's sharp memory raced back to that part of the sermon. My friends, we mistake a historical faith 
for a true faith, wrought in the heart by the Spirit of God. You fancy you believe, because you believe there is such a book as we call the Bible, because you go to church. All this you may do, and have no true faith in Christ. Merely to believe there was such a person as Christ, merely to believe there is a book called the Bible, will do you no good, more than to believe there was such a man as Caesar or Alexander the Great. Patrick's memory was interrupted once more, this time by the alarm in his uncle's voice. I'm telling you, these itinerant preachers managed to screw up the people to the greatest heights of religious frenzy, leaving them in this state for ten to twelve months until another enthusiast comes along, Uncle Patrick argued. My congregation grows more and more unsettled by this dissenter movement against the Anglican Church. What good could come from it? What good can come from it? Did you see the response of the people when Whitfield implored them to choose grace? Sarah shot back with her hand in the air. I've never seen so many hearts moved to want genuine salvation through Christ. Patrick's mind filled with the crescendo of Whitfield's imploring voice, his warm smile, and his outstretched arms beckoning the people to embrace true peace. Would you have peace with God? Away then, to God through Jesus Christ, who has purchased peace. The Lord Jesus has shed his heart's blood for this. He died for this. He rose again for this. He ascended into the highest heaven and is now interceding at the right hand of God. Well, I'm not going to take this invasion of my church lying down, Uncle Patrick exclaimed with a huff. He picked up his black tricorn hat and positioned it firmly on his head. The dissenters of Hanover, including your father, dear sister-in-law, had better heed the law if they knew what's good for them. Isn't that right, Sheriff Henry? I'll see myself out. With that, he bid John and Sarah good day and left studly. What's that supposed to mean? Sarah asked John. John loosened his shirt collar uncomfortably and got up from the bench. I have to uphold the law, dearest Sarah, no matter how close it hits to home. He cleared his throat and walked back inside the house. Peace, peace, Patrick said in a hushed tone. But there is no peace. He furrowed his brow, got up, and walked away toward the woods. Max, Liz, and Nigel stayed behind, allowing Patrick to be alone. I dare say Uncle Patrick's parting words sounded like a declaration of war, Nigel exclaimed, adjusting his spectacles. Aye, and Whitfield just preached about peace in the lad's own church, Max added. Kate and me were with Jeremiah when he wrote those words, warning Jerusalem that the Babylonians were coming, but the people wouldn't listen. We, oui, and Jeremiah was right about the war to come. King Nebuchadnezzar did destroy Jerusalem and carry the Jews off into captivity, Liz remembered. Although sad in many respects, those years with Daniel in Babylon were exciting. Exciting and vital to laying the groundwork for the wise men to find Messiah so many years later, Nigel added with a finger pointed in the air. How utterly brilliant the way the maker weaves time and events together. Aye. So, Jeremiah, we're talking about a real war, Max added. 
Whitfield were talking about a war within. I submit that both kinds of wars are equally real, Nigel suggested. What do you suppose Uncle Patrick meant by that Sheriff Henry comment? Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, Liz said. Do you remember when Jesus said that to the twelve disciples the first time he sent them out on their own? Indeed, he followed with Micah's prophetic words, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household, Nigel added. Aye, but he were warning his followers about those coming against them who didn't believe in Jesus, Max added. The Henry and Winston families be on the same side. They all believe in Jesus, just not how to worship him. They're daft to be fighting. Ah, but such has been the case with warring religious groups across time. The Jews and the Christians, the pagans and the Christians. Then, sadly, the Christians and the Christians, Protestant and Catholic alike. Nigel clucked his tongue and clasped his paws behind his back, shaking his head. What a sad lot these humans are to allow the enemy to get between them. And how dreadful that the war for religious freedom must rage right under the Henry's roof. Liz watched young Patrick slowly walk away from them, thinking about the things he had heard. My Henry has learned that even though Christians may cry, Peace, peace, sometimes there is no peace between them when it comes to running God's house meaning no peace between Uncle Patrick and John Henry on one side and Sarah Henry and her father Isaac Winston on the other, Nigel added. This could turn into quite the nasty business. Liz saw Patrick's fiddle lying there. The boy had been in such deep thought he left the instrument behind. She placed her dainty paw on the fiddle, recounting the next part of the fiddle's riddle. A voice in the present wakes eternity and mass. Hmm. She looked over at Max and Nigel. Uncle Patrick used those very words, en masse. There must be something in the midst of this holy war that will help my Henry find his voice. What else could this part of the riddle mean other than the Great Awakening, no? Of course, I believe you are correct, my pet, Nigel agreed, wiggling his whiskers. Whitfield started a movement that is leading masses of people to wake up in deciding their eternal condition. Do you think here in Whitfield just one time were enough to do the trick for the riddle? Max asked. When that Gilliman's words ever meant only one thing, <laughs> there are always multiple layers of meaning to his riddles, Liz replied. She looked at the fiddle. Nigel, I do not suppose you have your bow handy, do you? She ran her paw along the velvety stem of a pink Gerbera daisy growing there next to her. Never mind. Liz broke off the flower stem and pulled it across the strings of Patrick's fiddle. Up rose the softest of musical notes with glowing words inside them. Hello, little ones. How fitting to be played with a flowery flourish on this glorious spring day. Nigel's jaw fell open watching the magical notes rise and disappear into the hedge. I never would have imagined a flower stem could play a fiddle. Brilliant! Only this fiddle, Nigel. You've done well solving the first two parts of the fiddle's riddle. Each part builds on the one before, so everything that happens for Patrick's voice will gain momentum from here on out. Merci, Gilliman. 
We were just discussing the next part of the riddle, a voice in the present wakes eternity and mass. Are we correct to assume it involves the Great Awakening? Liz asked, continuing to pull the daisy stem across the fiddle. Indeed it does. But Whitfield's voice was only Patrick's wake-up call. Of course, we arranged for Whitfield to choose Uncle Patrick's church to coincide with another battle coming in the Henry household. When that matter is resolved, a more permanent voice will arrive in Hanover. I say, could it be Samuel Davies? Nigel asked. I recall John Henry mentioning his name as a young pastor in training who would come to the people here. Precisely. Clary and I will escort Samuel Davies safely to Williamsburg, where the governor will give him a legal license to preach here. If he's legal, then the humans can go here and preach without getting in trouble, Max said happily. He then shook his head in disbelief at the absurdity of the situation. I can't believe those words just came out of me mouth. Davies will impact Patrick's voice more than any other, but he will do far more in the process. You must see that his voice is heard clearly by everyone in the Henry family, including Uncle Patrick. We've been most distressed by this religious war in the Henry household, Nigel remarked. Aye, they're all supposed to be on the same side, Jesus' side, Max added. Paul and Barnabas were also both on Jesus' side before their argument split them apart. "'which led to a greater spreading of the gospel "'than had they stayed together,' Liz recalled. "'I remember how troubled we were about that war "'between the apostles at the time, "'but it all works out better than we could have hoped.' "'Despite the warring between believers, "'the Maker always brings good from it, "'and in Patrick's case, "'this war is exactly what his voice needs. "'But many battles lie ahead before a truce.' The daisy stem wilted, and the notes ceased coming from the fiddle. "'That's it, then,' Max said. "'No more notes.' "'No more notes for now,' Liz twirled the daisy stem in her paw and grinned. "'But when the time comes to trade in my daisy stem for a quill, "'the pen will be mightier than the sword in this war between the Henrys.' "'Well, Max?' "'Uh, uh... Uh, that is, uh, uh, see, well, what I was thinking... What's the matter, Max? Cat got your tongue? Pardon? Don't look at me. I am not a fan of doggy tongues. They're blech. Figure of speech, my pet. We. Oui. Uh, listen, Mosey, uh, I'm sorry, lad. It were mean for me to eat your crumbs, and uh, will you forgive me, then? Of course, Max, old boy, and truth be told, it was rather presumptuous of me to just leave a pile of them and expect everyone to know I had intentions of eating them. Uh, we, Nigel, they could have just as easily been swept up by Monsieur Announcer while he was cleaning. <laughs> while he was cleaning. <laughs> hey, I clean. We, <laughs> oui, uh, forgive me, Monsieur, I was teasing. Well, that's okay. I mean, I do spill a few crumbs from time to time. <laughs> Indeed, I'd likely be undernourished if you didn't. Uh, don't you have a news nugget to do or something? Oh, right. Uh, I'll scurry on over to my news desk. Well, shall I? Uh, now it is time for another edition of Nigel's News Nuggets. Greetings, Nigel P. Monaco here, and... Wait a moment. 
We interrupt this Nigel's News Nuggets for breaking developments in the War on Crumbs. Earlier in our podcast, we reported that an ample supply of launchable morsels had been decimated by a canine assault of epic proportions. Well, friends, I am delighted to report that the situation has been rectified, as a crunchy mound of assorted crumbs, nearly twice the size of those earlier losses, is now occupying the same space heretofore depleted. Additionally, a sign has been erected nearby which simply states, Nigel's Lunch Nuggets. <laughs> With this warning, uh, don't be chomping on them then. Hmm, inaccurate spelling aside, this is a truly generous offering and I shall cherish it. Many thanks to whomever may have done this. And with that, I leave you with this editorial. Let's face it, disagreements and misunderstandings happen in this world, sometimes over the pettiest things. Our words can be misconstrued or taken out of context. Our intentions, while clear in our own minds, could be vague in others, and thus open to interpretation or even self-serving retaliation. Why all this stuff and nonsense? Well, quite simply, because... We all come with the same flaws. When push comes to shove, we tend to push and shove in an attempt to get our own way. Uh, but there is an antidote, and that is by showing the love of Jesus, by recognizing that when we've put ourselves first at someone else's expense, that we truly need to seek their forgiveness and, when possible, make up for our selfishness with generosity, such as what was done for me moments ago. I sincerely thank whomever may have been so kind. Uh, for Nigel's News Nuggets, I'm Nigel P. Monaco, reporting. Hey, thank you then, Mosey. Oh, and by the way, that pile of crumbs? <laughs> well, <laughs> it was from me. What? You, Max? I. Well, bravo, old boy. Wherever did you find such a fine assortment of mini morsels? Uh, yeah, Max, where did you find those? Second shelf of your pantry, lad. <laughs> Much obliged. But those aren't necessarily for you, Max. Well, you put them down low, then. Why, I'm sure it seems that Max has misconstrued your intentions. Hey, if you don't want me grabbing them, put them up on a higher shelf, then. Duly noted. So now, Liz, uh, have you got a question for Miss Jenny? <laughs> oh, contraire, monsieur. I thought you had a question about Nigel and me. Well... No, I, I don't think that's appropriate for today. I beg to differ, old boy. With all this culinary overstepping of bounds, as it were, uh, what better time for your savage, barbaristic inquiry? I doubt Miss Jenny will want to answer it, that's why. Ah, oh, too late, monsieur, for we have arrived at Jenny's corner. Uh, bonjour, Miss Jenny. Liz, what's on your brilliant mind today? <laughs> it is not my brilliant mind we are tapping into today. We, oui, monsieur? Uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, Jenny, uh... Well, I've always wondered, you know, Liz being a cat and, and, and Nigel being a mouse. Well, I remember when I was a kid, we had a cat who, who, who was really good at keeping mice, you know, out of the house. I say, cutting to the chase. This poor bloke wants to know if our dear Liz has ever considered yours truly as a main course of feline cuisine. Or did Liz ever want to eat Nigel? Oh, well done, Max. Smooth and so subtle. I am stunned that Monsieur Announcer Lad would even ask, would even think to ask such a question. Well, I mean, come on, Cassie and mice have been known to... Liz? Nigel? Do you agree? I agree he's a silly boy. And entirely misinformed. I am sure, Nigel, you must think it is intolerable. That nearly goes without saying. That Monsieur Announcer Lad would 
even suggest that Liz would consider eating you. She's a cat. Absurd. It is not absurd. She's Al, on the other hand, that's a different story. Oh, really? So Al would? As you remember, Nigel, back in ancient Egypt in The Dreamer, The Schemer, and The Robe, in fact, it was your debut scene, Nigel, Al almost ate you. And you ended up in Al's mouth. And it was Liz, thanks to her quick thinking, who saved you from becoming Al's breakfast or petit déjeuner. So no, Liz would never consider eating you, and she saved you. Liz, I know that you would agree that you have more refined taste. You like a typical clean palate of fish, cheeses, fruit, uh, croissant, French fare. No, you are a French cat, no? You may be wondering how a cat and a mouse can get along so well. Well, it goes back to that moment where Liz saved Nigel because she saw something in him that was special and unique. And it was that he was smart and he could read hieroglyphs. And so she says, I must talk to this mouse and see what he knows. And then this friendship began between Liz and Nigel and he actually taught her to read hieroglyphs and took her to an Egyptian school. So their friendship is ancient history, and it is possible for animals who naturally might not be such good friends and want to eat each other to avoid that and become good friends and to go enjoy a good meal. So Liz and Nigel, I suggest that you go out for a lovely meal, maybe even order a pizza with cheese and anchovies. I say, brilliant. Thank you, Miss Jenny. Shall we go, my pet? We, oui, mon ami, but uh, can we afford this? You can if you take me. Well, how's that, old boy? I've got announcer lad's credit card. Ah, splendid. Well, then, announcer lad, uh, don't forget to lock up. Hey, if it's my card, I'm going too. Uh, so join us next time here on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, as we'll undoubtedly be bringing it to you on a full stomach. Once again, the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast, is produced by Playful World Ministries, a department of ACT International. All of the Epic Order of the Seven characters and adventures were created by and written by Jenny L. Cody. And remember, you can download your very own copy of the audiobook, The Voice, The Revolution, and The Key, by visiting audible.com. That's www.audible.com. And you can find the entire collection of Jenny L. Cody's Epic Order of the Seven books by going to her website, www.epicorderofthe7.com. And I'm Denny Brownlee. Thank you for listening, and join us next time on the Epic Order of the Seven, the podcast. Have a grandee! A bientôt, mes amis! Huzzah! And ta-ta! And always remember, you are loved and you are able.